Welcome to the HR Futures Podcast, brought to you by Expedite HR, the organisation behind Working Futures, the event for HR directors, and the new mobile application, Circa, the only app dedicated to developing and improving the HR profession. This podcast is also brought to you in association with Zealous, the market-leading provider of payroll, HR, and managed services. With me today is the uh, UK People Director of Booper, Tom Webber. Morning, Tom. Morning. So let's just, why don't you tell us a bit about your current role? You know, tell us about Booper, tell us about your responsibilities, how big, how many people. Sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, so I work um, as the People Director for Booper UK. I've been there about 11 months. Um, Booper UK is about 23,000 people. Um, and a few thousand clinical associates as well. Um, I lead a large team of um, HR and health and safety professionals, all the kind of shared services and specialisms that you'd expect. Uh, I report to the UK Chief Exec. It's a great role, really enjoy it. It's a nice blend of kind of operational and strategic. Um, I have a very privileged, have a lovely team. Um, challenging role at times, but it's a lovely organisation. It's a great organisation. It has a brilliant purpose which is to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives, which is something I really connect with. And one of the things that attracted me there. Was that was the brand itself and what it stands for, its purpose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So how's it how's it owned? Because I've always I've always been trying to work that out in terms of Booper, is it? Booper. Um, yeah. so it's it's a legal entity. It's a it's a company that's limited by uh, guarantee. Um, and I think the LV are going through converting into that legal yeah, yeah. entity at this moment in at the, this moment in time. So I think um, we have uh, members of of that legal entity, if you see what I'm saying, that are part yeah, of the, yeah. the debt structure and how it's financed. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, your early career. You know, how did you get into HR? Was it really my, a conscious choice? Or was it something you fell into? Because, again, one of the things, having done mm. this when, and talking mm. to HR people, there's a lot of people that just arrived here by sometimes with a bit of serendipity, sometimes yeah. conscious. But Probably I'm slightly unusual to that. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I think I started off, I wanted to be a Formula One driver, but I soon worked out I'm too tall for that. But um, And that was quickly um, shot from my aspirations. But I wanted to be a businessman, in adverted commas. Um, like my dad, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, so let's go back to that. So what did your dad do? So what was um, that? Why was that an influence? He, was, he was um, he ran a business uh, called Auto Windscreens at the time that was subsequently you know bought by uh, the RAC etc. But um, but I kind of um, I was quite often with him in work on a Saturday morning in the factory in the call center and kind of enjoyed that and kind of wanted that to be part of my future. But I didn't quite know doing what. Um, so I did a fairly generic management degree at UMIST, um, which is now all part of the University yeah, yeah. of Manchester. And I s- quickly started to realise in my first year, the things that I really liked um, were actually kind of the, some of the component parts of HR. So employment law, employee relations, psychology, others, and kind of, I suddenly worked out, ah, these are some of the constituent parts of HR, which for me then gave me a focus and I felt really quite lucky as a consequence because it really allowed me to channel my energy. And then I kind of, I joined Ford as, a, as an HR uh, intern in Dagenham okay. in East London. Um, and it all went from there. So go back, So when you were doing those modules, is it a business degree? So when you did the sort of yeah. HR uh, elements, the employer relations and psychology, what was it? What was it that you sort of plugged into? What, you know, created that curiosity that got you to think? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I did a... a, a General, it was a management degree. Um, I don't know. I think um, I was kind of interested in the employee relations stuff and some of the history of it and some of the kind of mm. um, uh, conflict and challenge. And then, and, and then, you know, the employment law bit, some of the technicalities of it and how it worked. And I think so there was kind of... And then I put those things together and thought, ah, ah. this is where this career could go. Okay. So... So tell us about Ford, because I mean, I went uh, as a when I was at school to work experience trip to Dagenham, and it was very formative for me. Mm. I mean, I came away going, I am never ever going to work in a factory, noisy, dirty, and just 
I just thought, oh God, I don't want to be here. People shouting at one another. Now, I suspect your experience was most probably a little bit later, and I suspect they'd gone through some change. But tell us about your yeah. early days in Ford. So you thought coming there quite, oh, you know, bushy town, yeah. I want a career in HR. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I first first went to Dagenham, I think it would have been 1999, so just yeah. before 2000. Um, I was part of, um, I was an intern, but I was involved in when they were finishing Fiesta production there. So it had changed, but not drastically. I mean, it, it was going through a big period of change in terms of creating the um, a new investment in the diesel plant there, et cetera, and the Lynx production. But it was kind of, I mean, it was very formative for me as well. And I learned the hard way a lot of times in my kind of couple of years there. But um, the more I got knocked down, the more I kind of enjoyed it in a bizarre, <laughs> perverse kind of way. But it kind of, it made me realise there was lots to learn and lots to challenge me there. And, and um but at the same time, you kind of learnt loads, um, made some good relationships um, and kind of set me on my way, I, I guess. So you, what were your big takeaways from that first job in HR? What are your two or three bits of learning you you, you carry with you today? Um, I think the kind of importance of strong relationships, whether they be your management team or in, in those circumstances in Ford, some you know, the um, staff representative groups, and I think, <clears throat> I think really listening to what's important to, to either your customer groups or to people, yeah. I, think, I think it was a kind of great learning ground for me just to kind of land that point. Cool. And then one of the things, tell us a bit about your career without, you know, uh, labouring the port. Because one of the things I really want to pick up on is you've worked in quite a few different types of organisations in different sectors. Mm. And I'm interested in exploring... You know, does HR do similar stuff? It always does, I'm I'm Mm. sure. But there are nuances of difference, and I'm interested in exploring that. So Ford earlier in your career, tell us a little bit about, you know, what happened next. And and then obviously I know Wing Canton and Smith. So just tell us a bit about your journey. There's always always thematics of whether it's, you know, talent, resourcing, employer relations, learning, you know. But, I mean, my perspective is, Whichever organisation you go into, the, the graphic equaliser, as I call it, is always set slightly differently in terms of, you know, relative importance. Um, and I think from my point of view, you can make, it's good. One of the things that having worked in different sectors is you can start to see some of the parallels. At the same time, I, I, I try and avoid the linkage and the stereotyping too much because the moment you do that, I think you get tempted to um, say this place is like that and you stop listening and you stop hearing what's important to the organisation that you happen to be in at the time. So it's helpful, yeah, yeah. but I kind of keep, you know, keep a weather eye yeah. on that trait, if you see what I'm saying. And just tell us about you know, some of the things that you're proudest of. You know, what is there in your career when you look back on already mm. um, and you go, that was great. That was a great... I did something. I made a real yeah. difference to the organisation or or people, or whatever it may be. But I'm always interested in what people see as, you know, yeah, big so pieces I, of learning. I, I, um, I guess I still see it as fairly early in my career, but I guess if I just look back on maybe a, a, a couple of highlights. I mean, my time um, as the Transformation and Change Director at Talk Talk, I think, you know, for me, um, there was a bit of proving myself to myself that I could go outside of the function, uh, you know, on an exec team, uh, and be credible, and also I think whilst I was there, I you know feel it helped move that organisation's maturity on in terms of delivering and executing on change and transformation. So, so that tell, was a, so tell us a little bit because I'm really interested. In yeah, that, and I'm going to talk about HR stepping out of HR at some yeah. point. But yeah. just tell us about the change. So what was why was they reacting to change? What was going on in their marketplace? And what was you leading? Because transformation and change can mean lots of different things in lots of different. Yeah, I think you know. Um, it was an organisation um, at the time, probably different today, but um, had a large transformation agenda that you know was was um, you know in inverted commas underdog in the marketplace and you know wanting to materially improve its customer experience and um, be disruptive in its products and propositions uh, and grow quickly, um, but had got legacy, you know, and so in that kind of context, you know, it got a big change agenda. And one of the things that was potentially going to hamper it in doing that was just its ability to execute on change. Uh, and that was really part of my job, which is to 
to help the organization in terms of prioritizing what it was doing and what it wasn't doing. And, yeah, and it's yeah. not unusual for technology organizations to have that, um, you know, be blessed with that problem of too many things to, to, to yeah. be able to do. Uh, but also in terms of executing really well on those things that it was doing. Um, and so it was a big, it was a big learning curve for me, um, but okay. one that I relished and enjoyed. That's yeah. for sure. And, and, and in terms, you said you think you, you you know you really did change the organisation. So, you know, after your three or four years doing the sort of change and transformation role, if I'd have walked into the business, what would the change be from the start of the process that you were driving to the end of it? What would I see that yeah. would be different? I mean, you know, I guess, I guess when I started, we couldn't have told you how many projects or programs we were running on what. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know, just getting that discipline in of, of and control um, yeah. around being really um, in control of the change agenda, what we were working on, what we were not working on, um, what stage in the life cycle it was, how we were delivering it, what you know, what delivery methodologies were we delivering, agile, hybrid, waterfall, all those things that I guess the organisation was doing unconsciously. We yeah. became far more conscious of how we were going about it and more thoughtful. And the relationship between the programmes and some of the things underneath. So, yeah. okay. Um, you said there were two things. That was one. Yeah, and I guess yeah, the other thing more recent, I guess, um, in Bupa last month, we landed um, in the LinkedIn uh, UK top places where people want to work. We came in at number five. Never been in it before. Uh, and we... we um, Landed in that list at number five. So it was kind of, I personally was super pleased. I know there's so many teams at Booper that, you know, try so hard to make it a great place to work, but it was a, it was a great achievement. Where personally. did you think you'd come? Was it, that, you know, did you think you'd be sort um, of... I guess, I guess um, my personal view is Booper is a great, great organisation, great place to work. Um, it would be nice. It would, I thought it'd be nice to make it on the list, but yeah. you know, landing in landing in that spot was a real delight for us all, and we were super super chuffed and proud. The challenge now is to try make to sure we maintain it, or, or, or if not, yeah. um, if not a little bit higher. So that's that's where that's our, a big challenge because the chief execs and we go right second sure. or third next year then for sure for sure. <laughs> but um, it's good to have targets. And in terms of. Um, you know, the feedback from that process. What was it about Bupa that they highlighted? So what do you take away from that? Is it the culture? Is it that, you know, purpose-driven organisation? Mm. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to do something quite yeah. important. Yeah, I mean, as I understand it, I think how that process works is it's a, um, it's quite data-driven, you know. Yeah. Uh, the data out of LinkedIn's platform focused on, you know, things like, Level of engagement with um, with the brand, you know, um, job seeker engagement with the brand, um, retention. So it's quite data driven, but I think you know all those things are a reflection of you know um, the purpose, the employment proposition that we're trying to create um, in the marketplace as well. So let's go flip side of that. So as you look back, as you say, you know, you're still quite early in your career. Um, but there's always learning. There's always things that you mm. look back on and go, well, I didn't, you know, we didn't handle that particularly well or that didn't, you know, work or land. And, and that's often the, as good a place to grab learning and, and, and think about things as success. So tell us about things that with hindsight you think, well, I most probably wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, there's no, there's no one or two big things. That, I mean, I, you know, messed up loads of things in my career but I think I think my takeaway in summary is I have kind of looked back I think are a few things which is you know number one just try and be yourself a bit I think you know when I started my career I was kind of got spat out at an early stage of my career as quite a corporate you know corporate yeah. animal and I think you know it's it's not it's not always very sustainable you know you have to put a lot of energy into trying to be something that you aren't so I think just be yourself um Remember, it's okay to fail. You know, you, you do learn. It might be painful at the time, but you, yeah. you learn so much more from that. And I think, you know, the bit that goes alongside that is don't take yourself too seriously. Um, you know, if you did, um, it, becomes a, it becomes a problem and too difficult. But I think, so they're my kind of probably yeah. three things that kind of, they all kind of sit together, I think, is the reality of it. Yeah, I think you mentioned a lot about listening as well. And I think one of the things that I take away is when you see great HR functions doing remarkable stuff, it's the ability to 
stand back and to listen to the organisation. You know, not always what it, you know, not always the leadership team about what they want to drive, but you just listen to where people are. And, and, and you mentioned it a few times. I wonder if you just want to talk a little bit about that. So, you know, perhaps when you joined Booper, you know, new organisation, how mm. do I, how do you get in tune with it? How do you listen to the organisation, listen to what they're doing well, listen to the things that people are frustrated about, the things that they want to change? So how do you just go through that process of, of getting yourself comfortable yeah. and understanding an organisation? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing I say is if I look back on my career, the times I've listened are the times that things have gone well. And the times when I haven't listened is the times I've stuffed stuff up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, when you, when you join any new organisation, I think, you know, you have to be on what I call kind of super listen mode and, and, and open your senses to all the data points. And I think not be too judgmental too quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, in this day and age, there's a myriad of um, data points out there, whether it be kind of all your engagement surveys, whether it be the social media profile that sits around an organisation, whether it be what you hear from your leadership team or folks doing the jobs. Yeah. I think you've got to, and you know, the, the challenge, I think, sometimes in, in, in these jobs is to be able to kind of assimilate all those data points and over time start to tune into the things that are really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that judgment, I guess, has developed in me over time, I guess, yeah, yeah. And, and, okay. and, and is, a, is a key thing. Now, one of the things I'm really interested about your career was this time when you spent outside of HR doing change and transformation. I mean, presumably that was a good experience for you. You learned a lot, I think you've already said. Mm. Do you think that's something that HR needs to think about is, you know, getting uh, outside of the line, outside? You know, I always worry about people that come in and do an HR job and progress within an organisation because I think there's something about actually managing teams and delivering mm. business, you know, and so I'm just interested in your take because obviously you made a conscious decision to do that. Yeah. And it seems to have worked for you. So I'm interested in your view on that now. I think, you know, it's natural, I would say, I'm an advocate because it's, you know, it's something that I've done in my career. But, but personally, if I look back in terms of my own kind of personal growth, it's probably the bit where I've learned most, and, uh, and and that includes, you know, screwing a few things up and learning yeah, as a yeah. consequence. And um, but I think, you know, it gave me a, it definitely gave me a different perspective on doing my kind of HR job, and and, and I think um, gives you a different perspective on what's important to your customers versus what's not. You know, you, you hold a perception when you work sometimes, and you can get a bit self-absorbed in that. But actually, I think it gives you a, a different insight when you've, you know, you've you've run a large function or a large shared yeah, yeah. service. And, and um, so it makes you think as well about what's helpful that comes out of the HR team and what's not helpful. Um, oh, I've got to pick you up on that. So when you're doing that role and HR come along and go, we're going to do this, and you're going, oh, I'm not quite sure that really is going to work and now is now the time to do it. So just tell us about that because, again, I think that insight, which has been mm. on the receiving end of some mm. HR-driven activity, is mm. quite interesting. Mm. You know, that takeaway, so... When I when I'm now thinking about driving an HR agenda, here are the three or four questions I ask myself. What you know, what was that experience like? What did the HR function try and do that you went, oh, I'm not sure now's the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's there is specific things, but I think you know you start to you know it tunes you when you spend a bit more time at the function. You get very tuned into into the business cycle, the operational cycles, the operation, the operating rhythms that. You know, it makes me a bit more um, respectful and cognizant of when we're landing things into the organisation, how they're going to impact at that point yeah, in yeah. time. And I think, you know, and then sometimes you start to appreciate the, the things that come out of the function that might seem to be small or insignificant have value that beyond your anticipation. I remember doing some work, you know, uh, I think it was my HR business partner at the time as I was running the transformation and change function, um, shared some kind of, you know, career framework work which actually at that point in time was super helpful for all the people in the function and really started to help them think about their careers and it wasn't the world's biggest initiative but the value we got from it was huge yeah. um, and so it just made it just kind of allowed me to kind of recalibrate my perceptions about what's important what isn't what's valued and what's not okay so um let's talk a bit more about bupa so you arrived 11 months ago what other sort of key challenges within the organisation from an HR perspective and how you're going about addressing those? 
Yeah, I think um, talent, I'm not sure you're going to be surprised to hear me say that. Um, you know, making sure that um, we can acquire and retain the right talent and skills um, in, in the marketplace. And let's face it, a marketplace in the UK that, you know, is, is, is in full employment and experiencing the lowest unemployment since yeah, yeah. 1970, whatever, you know. Um, so it's competitive out there. And so, you know, um, we're super focused on that. And, you know, driving engagement to make sure that we retain staff, but also thinking really hard about what it what the employment proposition is at Booper, why people would want to join and why they want to stay and making sure that we create something unique and that really appeals to people. Um, and that's really important to us. Um, and then I think the other thing is, well, you know, that's, that we spend time on is is mental health as well you know not only um it's a it's a big it's a big topic you know nationally and it's risen up the you know the agenda over the last couple of years it's a large topic for employers and we are no different in that regard um but i think you know in terms of of what we're doing about it i think you know it starts with leadership you know and 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 the, the openness and dialogue around it which which is um very open at bupa um, and and then you know there's you know we're in that very fortunate position to have such a clinical capability that we can call upon. But you know we have we have many things to support our people in that space. Whether we have you know we have our resilience model that we use that people is very kind of people can self serve and engage in. You know we have some mental health first aiders in our in our leadership team. We've got you know mental health hubs online where we collect all the information on this stuff you know, um, EAP lines. So there's lots of, you know, think places and, and, and products and services that people can avail of. So I think it's a really, you know, it's a critical topic in the UK at the moment and, and we're no different. We're no different in that regard. I'm going to come back to the mental health, but you said a couple of things. One was about talent. So, mm. you know, we're trying to attract and retain talent. What talent? You know, in your business, what do? how do you define talent? Because that's always an interesting starting yeah, point. Yeah, and so, you know, if you think about some of our key service lines, um, if I think about our provision businesses, our, we have a large dentistry business and we have a large care homes business. So constantly, you know, on the, on the lookout for, for dentists and dental associates and, and nurses as well. Um, but also, you know, in, in commercial, it's... it's, it's it goes throughout the organisation, you know, really strong talent in commercial roles or operational roles or support functions. Um, but I think, you know, if I look, um, if I look into some, some of those provision roles, they are the lifeblood in many regards yeah, yeah. Of, of some of those business lines. So they're, they're critically important to us. And then you said two things, which are partly in a response to that, really. One is, you know, we really focus on engagement. So how do you measure engagement? Do you do it once a year? Do you do it more often? Is it... I think, you know, is it a Gallup 12? Is it just a, a measure of how people are feeling and thinking? Or do you go more into the experience? So yeah. tell us, you know, how you go about that. Because, again, I think it's a key tool. Yeah, so um, we recently changed, I think. Um, so we use we use the Glint engagement platform. Yeah. Other other engagement platforms are available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we, we started um, kind of re-baselined. It would have been just over six months ago now. Okay. Um, and I think we're getting into a more regular cycle. So our, our, our next engagement survey starts next week. So I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, All yeah. the team have put lots of hard work in across the business. And, and so, um, and that's been a great platform for us because I think, you know, one of, the, one of the nice insights is kind of some of the AI that goes into some of the qualitative data that gets out that helps kind of, uh, theme up and give you some yeah. strong insight on what to focus on um, and, and so far has been a, a positive experience okay. but the key thing is you know the data is the data it's what you do about it you know and um, and I think Bupa is one of those organizations when it gets behind the topic it really engages in it and, and and I think you know engagement of our people at Bupa is one of the things that the leadership are very passionate about. And have you been able, I mean, it might be early in the, in your tenure and also in terms of the, the change that you made to the measurement are you able to Look at, you know, it's no coincidence that where we've got very high engagement across the business, we've got, we're better at retaining talent, but we get better business results. So, you know, that lovely virtuous circle that we can go back to the business and go, engagement's a good thing, anyhow, but actually it leads to improved performance, whether that's a care home or it's part of the insurance business or whatever, you know, because that's really gets me quite excited. And I know when I've worked with management teams, you can see their eyes light up, well, Ah, this is a driver of performance and productivity. I think, you know, my gut feel is 
it's probably too early to do the scientific cause and effect in terms of you know where we are with the glint platform but you've got to believe that to be right otherwise you wouldn't do it you know i think it goes without saying that that, that people that are engaged in the organization that they're working for and the customers that they serve you know want to stay around and that's what we want um, they want to go above and beyond um, and that ultimately is what the th- you know the thing that's is so important because that leads to the kind of the good outcomes for customers. Um, so for, for me, that's just a given. And the other thing that you talked about was uh, your employee offering. Um, and just tell us, you know, how you've gone about articulating that. Because again, most people say we've got a value proposition or we've been trying to work on our employer brand. So how you how have you gone about it? And, and um, you know, what are you saying to the marketplace? What are you saying about Bupa in comparison to your competitors? Yeah, I think... We've been doing a lot of work on it recently, and we're just we're just in the in the kind of reaching the crescendo of launching a, a new people value proposition in the marketplace. So it's exciting times. Um, so I think we've done a lot of work with a partner in terms of, and it's been very it's been very bottoms up in terms of them getting out into the into Brilliant. the business, um, all the service lines from people you know people working in care homes, in dental practices. You know, picking telephones up to insurance customers, spending time with our leadership teams, etc. So it's been very um, kind of organic in terms of understanding um, the kind of as is and, and all yeah, yeah. Of, of the of the employment proposition, but also you know trying to stretch that with a bit of aspiration. Where would we like to be a yeah, bit more yeah. you know unique um, without being without you know setting yourself up for a fail in terms of not delivering it when you when yeah, people it's, join it's, it's fascinating because again you know i mean my role and my experience was with, that they went too far it was far too aspirational mm. and you had to back people and that's not, not a good place to be yeah. but i think you're right it has to be based on reality and be authentic but it needs to be a little bit aspirational at least yeah. just because yeah. it helps change the culture and drag yeah. managers into yeah. in the right direction but yeah. okay thank you for that um, let's just do one more and then we'll we'll take a break. Um, let's just talk about, I mean, we talked about engagement and I suppose, you know, aligned to management capability. So for me, I, again, one of the great drivers of any great HR function is can we get inside the heads of our frontline managers, mm. you know, the people running call centres, running care homes, uh, dealing with customers on uh, telephones and stuff. So how have you gone about getting them to, you know, to really understand the power of engaging, motivating um, their people? For me, because that's the, that's the, you know, we don't do that. They do that. And our ability to give them the things that they want, to give them the tools that make it easy for them to do that is one of the great things mm. that you see in HR functions that are really driving performance. Mm. I, mean, I mean, I'm a big believer of, you know, quite often... You know, leaders of teams kind of know best, and um, and and for me, the HR team is more about making sure they've got what they need, and not getting in their way. You know, not getting in their way. Making sure they've got the data to help them to you know understand what the challenges are that they've got. Um, making sure that the things that that they need to help them address those things that we you know we, we try and support them with that. As opposed to, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Um, uh, and for me, you know, um, quite often the stuff that is organic comes bottom up that people take personal accountable accountability for rather than it being imposed on them always gets to better outcomes is the reality of it. And I think, you know, um, and I have to challenge myself sometimes because I you know, like to meddle and interfere at times where I have to hold myself back and think, you know, just make sure that you've created the right environment for these people, you know, your teams to do good jobs and your leaders to do good jobs um, and make the airtime for it as well. I think that's the key thing and make sure it's, you know, that it, it's it's got the priority in the organisation and, and then let people, you know, make sure they've got what's, what they need to do to do a good job on it and let them get on with it. That's kind of my outlook on it. Well, I don't think you're wrong. I think there's clearly a bit about moving HR away from, you know, policies, procedure, uh, process into have we created the right environment? Have our managers got the tool? And I think that bit that you said about getting out of the way is really quite important. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be back in a moment for the second half of this HR Futures podcast with Tom Weber, the UK People Director for Bupa. And in the second half, we're going to be talking a bit about mental health, which you touched on in the first half, and a little bit about 
the HR function and the future and technology and data. So again, rejoin us in a couple of moments. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs or increase your agility and capacity? There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience. The fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple, freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. Welcome back to the second part of HR Futures podcast brought to you by Expedite HR. Uh, with me today is Tom Weber, who is the uh, People Director for UK at Booper. So, uh, Tom, you mentioned in the first part of the interview about mental health, and I, I'm sure this is really important to Booper in terms of your purpose and what you do in the marketplace. So tell us a bit about uh, your approach to it. You know, how did you raise awareness? What are some of the issues? And then how have you gone about tackling that? Because I think you mentioned a couple of things in the first part, which I really were was quite interested in. Sure. I think, you know, it's super important to us and our customers. You know, all of our customers want to talk to, talk to us about it, um, given it's a growing topic. I think our our approach, there's kind of four four parts to how we've approached it. The first is kind of the awareness of it and people understanding um, the topic and its prevalence, I think, has been. And, and, and the second has been, you know, about creating a supportive workplace in terms of, you know, support that's in place, helping line managers and leaders in this space. The third is around helping people have open conversations. I think it kind of yeah, yeah. starts there. Um, and the fourth being, you know, making sure that we provide the right support and treatment um, as well. So I think that's kind of, that's been at the crux um, of our approach. And then I think, you know, there's been a number of a number of initiatives and it's one of those things where there's no silver bullet, you know, and, and it's got it's got to be fairly holistic in terms of, um, the the approach and kind of the support that's in place. So I think we've worked. You know, there's a few things that we've 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 focused on that are quite unique for us. We kind of we launched an initiative called BU at Booper, which is all around uh, people being empowered uh, to be their true selves at work, which has landed really well with our people. Um, we've got um, a number of things. Our insurance team, the the executive team, and the insurance business are all qualified mental health first aiders, which just reflects how serious the leadership team take it um we've got you know the the things you'd expect in terms of you know the employee assistance lines um we've got some we've got a really great um resilience kind of uh tool that we call performance Mm -hmm. energy which just helps people think about that you know work on their resilience you know not just inside of work but outside of work and it's super simple and really easy for people to avail of that i I find personally you know use it myself it's really important tell us a bit more about it then just uh, tell us about Um, the the tool and yeah i think you know performance energy really gets you to think about you know what where you where you are on a spectrum of of you know how where your energy is and what are the things you know and starts to get you to understand some of the things that I call, or what it refers to as the red flags of when you're getting, yeah, yeah. you know, showing signs of, you know, getting into stress or anxiety, yeah, yeah. what have you. And I think, you know, having that self-awareness yourself is very powerful and very empowering, but also to get you to think about what are some of the things that you can do personally to, to control that and mitigate it. Um, and I think that has been, you know, for me joining Boop when I joined, I was like, this tool is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, it's the great thing is, you know, you can share it with your friends and family as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's a, you know, a real range, you know, of, of practical things that are all part of that overall approach, I guess. Sounds great. So it sounds like you're, you're sort of leading the way. And I think it's most probably important to talk about it because, again, I think it, for HR, it's something which is becoming more prevalent. People are talking about it. But again, trying to put in practices and processes to support line managers deal with it, but also make your staff 
feel comfortable saying, look, I've got a bit of a problem, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Good stuff. So um, let's talk a little bit about your view of HR. Um, and I suppose I'm, let's start off with being a little bit critical. What is it you think that HR consistently perhaps doesn't do as well as it should? Um, or when you look at an HR function, you go, you know, that's the sort of thing that I think they need to be thinking about. Because I'm really interested in your view in terms of what we do well and what we don't do quite so well. Yeah, I guess I guess it's no one single big thing, but I guess I know, you know, personal things, the things that can sometimes frustrate me of, you know, if you're working in a team or uh, or you see it um, in your own team or what have you, the things that I get paranoid about and I've done myself at times is, you know, being a bit too internally focused, you know, yeah. is, uh, is a real temptation. I think sometimes not commercial enough and not realising that, you know, ultimately you are a cost centre and, and, yeah. and just it's always valuable just to remind yourself of that. Um, I think sometimes there's a temptation to feel there's a special permission just by the very nature of what you are, and the reality is there isn't any. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and um, and I think the final thing is like is would I I would say describing that you think you'll know what you, you think you should know what your customers should do, but you've never done their job and you've never walked a mile in their shoes. And I think um, and I, I, I struggle with that, and so I think um, I, I find it mildly kind of disrespectful of of, of people's customers. So I think. They're the temptations that I just try and yeah, yeah. try and dial back in myself and in, and in, in my teams as well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that thing about how do we get an external view? How do we think about, you know, customers of the business? You know, HR does get quite myopic and a bit internally focused. So how do you just make sure that we're being commercial and we're understanding that we're here to help drive organisational performance and provide better value to customers? Because... Because you know we just we just sometimes lose track of that, understandably, because we're working with managers and people and policies and processes and all of that stuff. So, how do you try and make sure your team thinks about it and keeps connected to those commercial external drivers? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I mean personally I I enjoy spending time you know understanding what's happening in other organisations, what's happening in other markets. Um, and, you know, in the limited time you have, make sure you prioritise some time for doing that because it is super important and you shouldn't feel guilty yeah. about that in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I try and encourage my teams to do the same. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's really important. And I think, you know, just in terms of commercialism, it kind of I like to spend my time with the team understanding our numbers, how it sits in the context of the broader P&L and, and what if this and how could we do that? Um, and it's not always... You know, sometimes it's a conversation that doesn't always come natural. But actually, I find some people, it's quite interesting, people start to engage in it and enjoy it. In a, in, yeah, you know, once yeah. they start to you know, get through the boundary of, I don't feel I understand this, but once people press through that and they do, and you've helped demystify or you've helped them to understand this bit and that bit, you know, people can feel far more empowered to take a bit more ownership for it and start to start to move it on. And that's, that's the thing that I quite like. When you see, see that switch going yeah, yeah, on, yeah. people have, I understand this. I'm going to start to change it and move it, and I've worked out how I can do it. Yeah, yeah. And it is that bit about the linkage, isn't it? You know, what we, so, you know, you look at the numbers, you look at markets, you look at trends, you look at what other organizations are doing, and then you ask your question. So, how do we impact on that? How can we make it better? How do we get our managers? Yeah. And I think you start to get a, a different conversation. Um, one of the things that we see in the media all the time, and again, I, I think the HR press is also spend a bit of time talking about this is about robots, algorithms, AI, you know, new technology, let's call it, internet of things, 3D printing. I mean, all of it is going to have a significant impact on organisations in the next five to 10 years. So just tell us, you know, your perception on that. And also, I suppose, you know, what Bupa are doing to, to think about what does this do for us? Does it, it clearly helps us in one way, helps us become more efficient, more effective, um, but at the same time, it's going to create disruption within our organisations mm. that we're going to need to think about and be in front of. Yeah, I, I, I mean, personally, I don't see it necessarily as a, as a, a thing of the future. It's here, it's now, and you know, um, particularly if you look at you know, large scale off the shelf products, whether it be engagement platforms, whether it be HCM. I'm just thinking about the the HR function now. You know, many of them 
are utilizing AI in some yeah. way, shape, or form already. So it's already you know part of these products that we all consume, and I think that's you know that's the same in in, in various parts of um, in, in various business lines. I think it's it's real. It's here. It's now. And I think those organisations that you know understand how best to consume that and and and, and leverage yeah, it will yeah. be the ones that make most value out of it. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is 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 more around some of the robotics elements. I mean, the, the physical robotics of, you know, how do they support where we've got talent challenges, whether it be in the hospitality sector, whether it be in care. They're the things that I think are quite interesting um, and I think are going to raise the most interesting kind of social questions as well for yeah. us. Um, and I think there's a bit more of a lead time on those things. Yeah, I think. I think there is. I mean, one of the things I've seen quite a lot uh, is the, all this stuff about, you know, care is always perceived as something which is quite difficult from a robotics but you see some of the stuff they're doing in japan we're working with older people where they're using you know machines to have conversations and people with early stage dementia and alzheimer's find it brilliant to have a a robot to you know so there's i suppose there's opportunities which would yeah. be you know helpful for you in terms of you know 24 7 service difficult to recruit in those areas yeah. could be hugely beneficial to us from a business point of view but also provide as good, if not better, care than perhaps a human being. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess you can't change the demographics of the globe, and, and you know that says this is not a problem that goes away. Is the reality of it? Um, but I think you know it's one of those. That's it's one of those areas where I think two things. One, social attitudes towards that topic are you know people are typically quite nervous and averse to it yeah. conceptually, um, and also naturally. The risk appetite in in the healthcare sector is more conservative, and I think we should all be appreciative of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So it might be a longer burn, but I think the reality is we'll continue to see you know new innovation, new applications, and it'll be it'll start to slowly but surely you know we will see really successful application of of, of robotics in particular over time. I'm sure. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things, isn't it? I think it's like the media. You know, they've taken it, and the, and the headline seems to be the robots are coming. It's going to destroy jobs, yeah. rather than going. Think all the benefits as a consumer. These are all the things that you're going to be able to do. How you shop, what you do online, fantastic. You know, and again, you know, we need to embrace that and recognise there will be some change from a job perspective. But if we think about it in advance, we'll be able to plan for it and and mitigate it uh, effectively. So this may seem like a bit of an odd question, Tom, because you're in the middle of your HR career. You've done incredibly well so far. Um, but I'm always interested in, you know, if you're looking back at the end of your career and you're saying, you know, this is my legacy, this is the things I'm proudest of, what would that be? You know, what are you uh, hoping to achieve within your career? Yeah. Um, I guess it's it's not something that I spend a, a large amount of time thinking about, but I think if there was, you know, one or two things, I think um, what would be very important to me is is those people that I've worked with and those people that have worked for me felt they've they've I've helped them and they've learned something from me, which probably seems remarkably unambitious, but actually is is really important to me. And, and I think in the times of my career, of I think of some of the people that I've learned from and I've really valued that at that stage in my career. And if I can, if I can try and do that, my share of that, that's really important to me. Um, and I think the second, you know, is there's organisations that I've spent, you know, time in that, you know, I've helped move them on, I've made a difference, whatever that might be. Um, and that's the bit that gives me a bit of personal satisfaction. Okay, so let's talk, so let's put you in a sort of a hypothetical position young person comes to you you know perhaps done a degree i'm thinking about a career in hr you know tell me the pros and cons you know so i'm coming to you because you're already an hr director you've had a you know a good career and i'm sure you're going to bigger and better things but what would your advice be to that young person i think i think when you're starting out in in hr my advice would be care about who you work for as opposed to the organisation you work for, I think is a start point. I think, um, and that might be the customer you're working for, not necessarily just the line manager. Be open-minded to that. But I think I would really encourage people to work for people that they think they're going to learn from, um, and that they think they're going to be stretched by. Um, Go on. So when you, so when you, and I'm sure you still have this thing in your head as well. So when you're looking at a new role or you're thinking about stuff, you're going well. 
you know, would I get on with them? Would I learn from that person? How do you, what, you know, what process do you go through? What questions would you be saying to a young person? You need to think about these things and this is a way of testing it so they can get underneath the surface. Yeah, I mean, it might be, it might be that you do a bit of research about the person and, 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 you know, those people that have worked for somebody before get some insight in terms of how they've found and how they've developed, you know, working with that person. So, that, you know, or have they got experiences of things that, You've just not done before. So at an early stage of your career, that might be very obvious. But, you know, in the latter stages, you know, you might be working for somebody who's just got experience of stuff that you've not done before. And it yeah. always sectors in that by, its, uh, by the sheer nature of it gives you personal development. So I think, you know, focus on on who you're going to be working for and what you can learn from them, I think, is, is kind of point one for me. I think point two is is really, really listen to, to your stakeholders. And, um, you know, I said earlier, the times that I've, I've not listened is probably the times I've screwed up most and the times I have listened are the times I've been successful and I kind of, it's a really basic point, but I think for anybody starting out on their HR career, really listening is important. And I think the other thing as well, just to, you know, is to, to learn the numbers, I think is really important. You know, if, you, if you've got ambition in whichever, whichever discipline you work in, whichever sector you work in, you know, it, the world, rightly or wrongly, is a commercial environment in, in many regards. And, and if you don't understand how that works, it'll hold you back. And so at an early stage, get comfortable with it. Invest time with your, you know, your colleagues in finance or whatever it might be to yeah. make, make sure you're comfortable. And, and don't, don't be afraid to say you don't understand that stuff, and, mm. but, get, you know, but get so that you're comfortable with it. One of the things I'm quite passionate about is I don't think the HR function attracts the best and the brightest. And I think that one of the things that we need to do in the next few years is be more competitive mm. for talent against finance or marketing or operations or sales. You know, do you think that's true? I mean, is your feeling that one of the things we need to do is is get better horsepower, you know, better raw material into the HR function, you know? So, because again, that's one of my, my instincts is, you know, I do an MBA thing and go along and talk to people and there's a room at, you know, business school of, 50 people. How many people in HR? You get one or two hands. Yeah. How many no. people want to spend some time in HR? And those two hands normally go down. Yeah. And I'm going, no, this is this is this is where you create value in organisations. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. You know, <laughs> one of the things I really enjoy doing is, you know, speaking to people at early stages of their career who, particularly, you know, folks who've, who, you know, show lots of promise. You know, have got um, great academic backgrounds you know great personalities and then talking to them about their careers and where they want it to go because you know typically those people who who you know have got the world in front of them and have got lots of career choices um and they're not quite sure where they want to go they typically don't go oh yeah i think i'll work in hr it's very it's very rare that happens is the reality of it and so you know, I think I think there is something in that, Kevin. And I know I spend my time, you know, trying to trying to convince one or two of when you come and look at this, and have you ever thought about this? And this is really interesting because, yeah, yeah. and um, and I've had one or two bits of success with that. And I think you know those people have not necessarily stayed in HR, but it's been an important building block in their career, and it's helped them in a you know a, in a you know operations career or a commercial career, yeah. and that's great. You know, and, and, and people should see it as potentially a really important, you know, building block in their career. Yeah, I, I think I think if we have more chief execs and MDs that spend a little bit of time in HR, they'd understand the value of it. But I also think that the more that we have, you know, really strong commercial business people, the more that we'll yeah. make HR uh, stronger than it is today. Yeah, so agreed. thank you for that. Um, let's move on now. Let's actually sort of bring the, the podcast towards uh, its end. Let's talk a bit about you, the person. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do out of work. What are your passions? What are the things that that, that drive you apart from, you know, the HR agenda yeah. and being a good leader yeah. in Pupa? Um, I'm, a, I'm one of those people that gets a bit curious about all kinds of things. I think some people would call it a bit faddy. I think, uh, my, but okay. what I've kind of realised is I go through this cycle of, I get something will attract my attention. It's, and I realise design quite often attracts my attention in certain things. And then I get this interest of how does that work 
what sits behind it and how do you optimize it and improve it so it might be an i don't know an old coffee machine or it might be an old camera and i'll get interested in it and then i'll want to understand it works and then and then i'll move on to the next thing (laughs) but so i have this kind of curiousness about things and about how you can how they work and how you improve them which i've just realized is kind of part of my personality an engineering type of mindset yeah there is i think there is a bit of i'm not quite sure where that comes from but as i go through these fads i realize the things that i kind of come back to the constants oh. in my life are family it goes without saying uh, music i love uh, seeing live music uh, since i was a kid um so tell us about your favorite bands what sort of music it's very very um very diverse and you know my mum was a she was a northern solar and when Fantastic. i was a kid so so i've just i'm um, myself and my wife have just booked to go and see mavis staples who amazingly Fantastic she's voice. 80 years old this year so um but full of energy and incredible yeah. Uh, so quite diverse it's kind of just um, so I really enjoy live music Derby County um, if you can call that uh, a football team I'm not doing too bad I'm not doing too bad scraping into the playoffs Formula 1 which is uh, looks like we're set for a very boring season this year Uh, but travel as well very as a kind of a the travel bug has got me as I've I've gotten a bit older and um, and so kind of when I get opportunities like to kind of get to interesting places really okay and um, what about literature, books? Um, do you read yeah, I'm business not, books yeah, or I'm, novels? I'm not, or? I'm not a big reader. I'm uh, being very open. I'm kind of one of those people that um, I like to learn. Uh, I, I enjoy podcasts. It's very nice. I'm on a podcast. Well, I, 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 you know, it's one of the key ways I consume information. My, my learning style is a bit different. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, like, I like podcasts. I like learning through doing things. And, um, and hence it's kind of become a key part of my, you know, personal improvement of yeah, kind of yeah. being prepared to fail you know um and so i'm not i'm not a huge reader i'll i'll, I'll read when i've got it, when i'm really interested in something or i'm very relaxed you know yeah, you know yeah. like many people will will read will read on holiday autobiographies understand what's been made people you know successful or or challenged them in their lives you know they're, they're, they're things yeah. that i get interested in okay uh I suppose, you know, theatre, cinema. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I try and get, apart from, you know, taking my kids to see the, you know, the latest Lego movie, and I kind of, it's nice to get, I kind of really tuned in a bit more into kind of international cinema in the last couple of years and just, you know, some really interesting storytelling um, that... um, that that I kind of was I've never really tapped into before, and, yeah. and, I, and I kind of when I've got when I've got a bit of time, you know, two or three hours, it's nice to be able to just kind of tune into something different and uh, enjoy that. Okay, thank you for that. Um, thank you for the podcast. I think it's been a really good interview. I think there's been lots of insight, lots of value. Uh, best of luck with uh, the rest of your career at Bupa, and uh, thank you for spending the time with us. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers.